Ladies and gentlemen, drivers, gig workers, and everyone in between, welcome to This Week in Rideshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Hoffa. It is Friday, December 1st, and this week, a tragedy at Amazon, drivers have options, and a shopper almost loses her life. Legal Rideshare breaks it down. And from Legal Ride Chair, I'm joined by the co-founder and lead attorney, Brian Gurney. Bryant, happy rainy Friday. Happy rainy Friday, Jared. It's good to be back. It is. And we're, you know, we're going to shift gears a little bit today. Uh, instead of going through the typical Monday through Friday, I thought it might be a good idea to focus on three main uh, articles. I think they they really embody kind of the, the issues that are facing ride chair and gig workers. Um, so I thought we could just kind of talk about it and go through it and, you know, have you weigh in and go from there. Yeah, I think I like that. I, I think it's nice to break from the, the routine a bit, especially when we see articles like this that are so indicative of what drivers and gig workers are going through. I, it's an opportunity for us to talk a little bit more in depth about um, specific news stories, but then also how they fit to, in terms of the like generalities of the industry. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. So we're going to jump right in. Now, this did happen, I think, at the end of this uh, end of last weekend or beginning of this week. And it, it's a really sad story, and it's a highlight of a major issue. So an Amazon worker was killed in an Amazon f- uh, facility, and the Washington Post did report on this. The, the thing that's crazy about the story is they said after an 11-week investigation, and this happened in Indiana, uh, Indiana safety officials found that Amazon failed to ensure a workplace quote, free from recognized hazards that were causing or likely to cause death. So, you know, Amazon worker died. And what was Amazon's penalty? A whopping $7,000. That's it. Um, so this article, you know, uh, it's just kind of devastating that this is the cost of, I guess, of a human life. I don't know, Brian, if you want to weigh in on what you think is going on over there. Well, we've seen Amazon um, injuries and we've seen Amazon um work conditions talked about a lot over the past few years. Um, This is actually an area that we've been diving into ourselves, trying to help workers in Amazon factories, warehouses, drivers, flex drivers. Um, You know, there's so many ways in which the workers at at an Amazon facility can be hurt that we want to see these stories highlighted, first of all. We're glad that the Washington Post is bringing this to everyone's attention, but we also want the government to understand that it needs to step in and demand better conditions like this $7,000 fine is ridiculous given the number of hazards that existed. And we've got laws in place like OSHA to set the standards for safe workplaces. And, you know, it, it seems like there's not enough bite. There's not the teeth are, are just not sharp enough to make Amazon uh, fearful that if it doesn't comply with those laws and those standards, that there's really going to be repercussions. Yeah, I mean, for, you know, they say that's the maximum fine. And I think you just nailed it on the head there where it's, you know, then Amazon can say, well, you know, that we're following the law. You know, that's what it says. It's a $7,000 fine. Um, But I mean, that's it's just it's really heartbreaking. I mean, someone died in their facility. It's not the first time that we've heard articles stating how dangerous it is to work in those factories, that they're often so overworked that that's what, you know, it's just inevitable to be injured. Uh, I, yeah, I something has to change, and often in these situations, uh, it has to be. I think it has to be firms like yours that step up and say, "Look, we're going to start holding the company accountable." I don't. I don't know what else they can do. Well, what's interesting about the Amazon 
factory and warehouse worker is that they are entitled to more benefits than, say, an Uber or Lyft driver. So most of these people who work in factories are considered employees and they are entitled to workers' compensation. So, you know, there is I don't want to call it a silver lining, but there there is more money that's going to be available to this family um, than in other situations that would be similar to this. Um, our firm really steps in for those workers' compensation and civil uh, personal injury claims where, you know, we can we can try to create a, a sense of accountability um, by forcing the companies to come into court, defend their actions and, and show a jury and show a, a workers' compensation arbitra arbitration panel that this is preventable, that Amazon knew the rules, and that despite knowing the rules, they did nothing to try to prevent the injury, or they did the bare minimum. And really, the bare minimum is not good enough. It, it kind of reminds me of the sweatshops back in like the 30s and, and you know, the food industry where people were just like losing limbs and dying, you know, in, in these terrible, terrible ways because the companies just didn't care. And we now have more safeguards in place. We now have more accountability, but companies like Amazon, they're, they're like, they're almost too big to fail. So they need to be reminded that the rules do apply to them and that the, the bare minimum is not good enough. Like if you know that something is is dangerous, if you know that there's a hazard, protect your worker. Keep these people uh, alive, safe. Like they're the ones that are making your billions and billions of dollars for you. So keep them keep them safe. Yeah, the the good and the good news is I have noticed that uh, there is starting to be resistance, and I'm seeing that there's been there was some walkouts on Cyber Monday. Um, it seems to be really the only way to get the message across, disrupt the operations or just leave the job. Of course, just like with those sweatshops, the problem with these gig, these gig jobs is that you, you say it's hazardous. I'm going to leave. Well, someone takes your place. Uh, and so it's, it's, there's, it's also kind of a, I don't know, I guess a zero sum or it's just kind of, you know, it's just, it's not a good way to go because eventually it just keeps trickling down to the worst scenario and yeah, protecting your workers. I think it's a, it makes sense. Uh, but again, I think sometimes these people, these companies do have to realize that there are there are financial repercussions to things that that they do. That's not good for workers. It's the only way I can see money, it changing. Yeah, money talks. And that's the bottom line. These companies became multi-billion dollar corporations by prioritizing money. So we need to start taking away their money when they don't act in conformance with our rules, our laws and frankly, our, you know, just our morality, like our, as a community, we need to stand up and demand better. Right. And, and it actually segues into the second topic we have. And this is a positive thing. And I think honestly, this may be the if you those who are listening, uh, that are in driver or gig worker advocacy groups, this may be the answer to your to your issues. Now, this is in Minneapolis. And basically, the drivers in Minneapolis have a message for Uber. If you leave, we got options. Uh, and this came from the Shahan Journal, and they reported that, quote, in a press conference Tuesday, uh, Iyad, the president of the Minnesota Uber slash Lyft Drivers Association, more commonly known as MOLDA, said that his group has been talking to two other transportation network companies, also known as rideshare companies, about entering the Twin Cities market in the event that Uber and Lyft leave. Uh, he said over a thousand drivers are ready to go. 
so the same day that Uber and Lyft pull out, we have people to cover so we don't have any problems. So basically what they're saying is they're starting to not only call Uber and Lyft's bluff if Uber says, hey, we're, we're, we can't afford paying you well, so we're leaving. They're saying leave. You know, we got, we got your competitors who want to slide in this market. Brilliant. I think it's the way to go. I totally agree. I, I get so frustrated when Uber and Lyft go to these state and local governments and say, you can't do what you want to do to protect workers because we will pick up and leave and you guys will be left with no options. This, the truth of the matter is there are plenty of options out there and there are plenty of competitors who are more than happy to fill that space. It's just right now that we've got two players that are so dominant that these smaller companies don't don't really stand a chance. You clear out the competition of Uber and Lyft, and you're going to see a lot of companies fill the space, do a great job, and get a real opportunity. I actually think this is Uber and Lyft's worst nightmare. It's that they, you know, that they basically shoot themselves in the foot and create an opening for competition to show that there's better out there, better for drivers, better for passengers, better for communities. Like, there's a lot of creative companies out there that would love the opportunity. Yeah, and it, it it makes a lot of sense. I think this is why this is such a smart move because we've seen multiple times we've talked about it in the past, especially with Minneapolis, that you know they get so close to getting these driver protections, worker protections, and pay raises, and then at the last eleventh hour. Uh, you know, the governor, the mayor, some politician steps in and vetoes and kills it. And the only thing I can think that that's happening is that Uber and Lyft are basically saying to that, you know, that politician, look, you know, we we provide a lot of here's the data. We provide a lot of jobs for your for your city and your state. And so you we pull out. You're going to look like you don't like, you know, your people making money. And I think it scares them into keeping them. OK, fine. Well, we're not going to give in to the drivers. But this way. You know, saying, okay, look, we have a backup plan. If you don't want to support them, it's a market economy, you know, so we can, boom, we'll just get another competitor in that, like you said, Bryant, maybe they, they would have had a tough time with Uber and Lyft in the market, but with an opening, there's there's businesses to fulfill it. And so no one loses right. anything. Actually, it's a win. Yeah, we saw this in Austin when Uber and Lyft um, were counter to Austin's uh, background checks and, and enhanced security measures years ago, they did leave. And there were some really cool uh, transportation companies that, that popped up, Ride Austin, one of them, that filled the void. And yes, we have moved away from the traditional taxi uh, industry like, you know, a decade ago. That's not that industry is not coming back in the form that it, it once was. Rideshare is here to stay. So Cities are scared to lose rideshare because they're worried that their, um, you know, that their citizens aren't going to have reliable transportation. They're worried, like you said, that all these workers are going to lose their jobs. But when new companies pop up that can provide a substantially similar service, the companies are ready uh, to to use it. You know, there's there's clientele sitting there ready to use the apps, um, and it's just an opportunity. I just I think that we've seen. This happened before, Austin being a prime example. Let's go. Like Uber and Lyft, you want to take your football and go home? Then, okay, we've got somebody else that we'll play with. Like, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, the, you know, the, the Molda, you know, in Minneapolis, they have really been pushing 
of a lot of the the driver groups I see, they are just they are not giving up no matter what. They are relentless on this, and now they're just finding clever new ways to to say, look, we need to get money somehow. And I think it's smart, and that's why I say this could be a blueprint for some of the other cities and states where they're they're kind of getting that gun shy about, well, if, if Uber leaves, uh, it's going to look bad on my record that I lost all these jobs. Well, no, you won't. They'll just have another business. So it's right. just a, it's a really good thing. Um, so the unfortunate last story is a wild one. Um, and you know, I've heard some pretty bad ones but for Instacart, but this might be one of the worst. Uh, an Instacart worker actually got stabbed while on the job. And then she initially was denied assistance from Instacart. Uh, it, Business Insider just reported this. Um, so, so basically the story is the woman was inside, bumped into someone. Uh, there was a confrontation. And the woman said, I can't wait to see you. To, I can't wait to see you come outside. Uh, when the Instacart shopper went outside, a car pulled up. She, lun- she jumped out, lunged forward, and stabbed her in the chest. Um, so she ended up hitting her lower pelvic close to her liver, and it collapsed her lung. So pretty traumatic experience. She afterwards she survived and and uh, and uh, got is is getting healed. And so while that was happening, she said she tried to see if she could file a claim for assistance with Instacart. She said, "I get that we don't have full insurance coverage, like a full time job, but I thought that would provide some help since I was injured while shopping for an order, literally stabbed while shopping for an order." She said when she filed her claim the first time, she said the claim was denied for assistance. Uh, and she didn't understand why she, why being stabbed didn't qualify for assistance. Again, Bryant, just highlighting that things are broken. Things are, are very, very broken. It's devastating. So you're reading the facts uh, of this case to me. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I know the answer to this before we get to the end. I know Instacart's not going to do anything because by law, by the structure of their business model, they don't have to. They, when they are classifying everyone as independent contractors, they there's no workers' compensation, there's no short-term disability, long-term disability, unemployment. All that stuff is reserved for full-time employees uh, in the traditional sense. So there's a reason why these companies have made the decision to structure themselves the way that they have. Independent contractors get nothing when something goes wrong. And we hear from shoppers and drivers and and gig workers all around who have gone through something substantially similar and are shocked to learn that there's no protection. The the companies, they don't advertise this. They don't tell you, oh, by the way, if you get stabbed on the job, we're not going to help you. But they're very quick to deny the claim when it's brought. So drivers put their lives on the line. Shoppers put their lives on the line every single day. And then when something goes wrong, the companies wash their hands free of it. Um, and drivers only work, they only learn the hard way. So it's, it's really sad. And it proves that this system is broken and needs to be rebuilt. It, it's sad. The first thing I thought when I read this article is, well, at least she didn't get deactivated. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it's how far the system is against, you know, how far it's against these workers that they're just, they don't, they just, every, everything is against them. Um, and it, you know what, it actually reminds me of uh, some of the, some of the calls that we handle here. So a recent call I just took from a, a driver and is that, you know, they didn't, re, you know, they got into an accident, they got injured and 
they went, they just settled with Uber, said, hey, we'll give you this money. And it turned, you know, they realized, well, no, I have like $50,000 in medical bills. And now Uber just refuses to help. And, uh, you know, I said this, and it's kind of, it's unfortunately become a slogan, is that, you know, if, if these gig companies can't pay you to drive, you think they're going to pay you well if you're injured or you, you have an issue? You know, they, they can't even pay you to, to do what you're supposed to do. Um, so right. it's just, it, it's, like you said, the system's broken, and and um, it's just so sad to hear these stories. And again, I, I think the solution is you got to hit them in the pocketbooks, because that's the only thing that seems... It's either uh, it's either putting in laws into place, which they fight tooth and nail, and usually win. You got that, or you find a way to hit them financially. I mean, that's it. That's your choices. Right, and, and the way that the system is currently structured, it's really difficult to hold these companies financially responsible for injuries like the this Instacart worker is dealing with. So, you know, like a third party that's not associated at all with the app causes an injury to the the shopper while she's at the store you know instacart is gonna say we didn't have anything to do with this this is not you know it's it wasn't our customer it wasn't somebody that we paired you with this is some random person who caused your injury and the way the laws are written instacart's got a an argument that's tough to counter um now if we had an employment structure where the worker was an employee of instacart that worker would be protected by workers' compensation. So it wouldn't matter that there was a, you know, an unrelated person who committed this violent crime. That Instacart shopper was operating within the scope of their employment, doing what they were supposed to do at work, and they were injured. There would be coverage. But Instacart is saving hundreds of millions of dollars by not providing that workers' compensation coverage or occupational hazard policy or something similar to its workers, again, because it's structured as an independent contractor relationship. Right, right. And, you know, obviously they, they're going to make sure that that stays that way. That's obviously their focus, you know, less less responsibility, less having to deal with any of this. So, And we know that. Um, and it's tough. Like you said, that's why it's tough to hold them accountable. Um, so yeah, that, so, you know, these are some of the topics I wanted to cover this week. Um, obviously there's a ton that happens throughout the week, but these were some pretty big ones. Um, but before we sign off, Brian, I'll definitely give you the floor. Um, let everyone know what legal rights share is, what we do, how we help, and then we'll head off into a very cold and rainy weekend. Yeah. So just as always, we like to remind everybody that, uh, legal rideshare is a personal injury law firm that's focused on you. We are focused on protecting gig workers who are injured on the job, whether it's uh, a car accident, a slip and fall, a dog bite, you name it, you can contact us and we are able to help uh, get your medical bills paid for, your wage loss recovered, any pain and suffering, any other damage that you sustain as a result of that injury, um, we're going to help get you compensated. So please reach out to us uh, quickly after an accident so that we can help set the foundation for your case and put you in the best position to have the strongest claim possible which means the most money uh for you at, at the end of the at the end of the day yes i'll second that drivers please and gig workers call us first not after you settle with a lawyer you hate i deal with this call all the time we want to help you out to call us immediately no matter what it is i think that's the key here as brian had put it uh, but thank you brian as i like to say that is the end of this week in rideshare see you next week <laughs>